Well, folks, we are continuing our series, Foundations of the Faith. And as you can see, uh, we've been building up our wall of core beliefs, and we have covered all of these topics thus far. And tonight we'll conclude by discussing uh, something about the church. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll start a new series. So there'll be a new stone to add to our wall of core beliefs, and it will say Israel. And uh, I think if you miss next week, it won't ruin your life. And if you're redeemed, you will not lose your salvation. So I don't want to overhype it. But let me just say, if you're able, I wish you would come. I, I've really been putting a lot of effort into this, but in spite of it, I just have the sense that the Lord uh, will use that series as a help and a blessing for those who come. So let me invite you to uh, uh, take special note of the next series, Israel. We'll talk about the land of Israel, the present-day Middle Eastern situation, uh, the people of Israel, the future of Israel, Israel from the biblical perspective, not from CNN. I'm just not going to get my source material on the Middle East from CNN. I decided to consult the Bible, and boy, what a surprise. It says things differently than what I hear on the news, and frankly, even floating around a lot of churches today. So anyway, would you come check me out, see if what I have to say squares with what uh, you think uh, the biblical perspective on Israel is all about. So that's next week. Okay, so tonight, uh, the last segment on the church. We spoke about what the church is and what the church does last week, a little bit about how the church works. And tonight, let's talk about the church. Why go to it? Now, I'm probably speaking to the wrong group because here you is. You have already found a reason for coming to church. But maybe there's one or two who are here grudgingly nonetheless. And here's how the, uh, the thinking goes. Look. I'm saved by the Savior, not by any local church. Jesus suffered and died for me. I believe that. I've accepted him. I'm a member of his worldwide universal church without walls. You cannot take that away from me. I love him. I worship him in my own way. Therefore, I fail to see the necessity of getting up Sunday morning, fighting Houston traffic, even on Wednesday night, to go to a building that's oftentimes a little colder than it should be, <laughs> uh, and to put up with people, many of whom I don't know, don't like, and have little in common with. So that's how the discussion sort of goes. And there's an element of truth, really, in that thinking, we did speak in prior weeks about the two aspects of the church. It does have a universal, kind of invisible flavor to it. That is to say, the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, is redeeming people all over the world. They're not affiliated with a specific uh, local church, but they become, immediately upon accepting Christ as Savior, a member of his worldwide, universal, invisible church, saved once and forevermore, for sure. And then there is the other aspect of the church, the local church, the physical buildings, the, the bounded 
area where God's people come together. And so some of the thinking of the person who says, I don't need the local church is sort of right because after all, I'm irreversibly a member of the, the invisible church. However, the local church is the visible expression of the universal church. Folks, if you speak to people about the universal church, the worldwide body of Christ, the invisible church, it's just an abstract kind of a concept to them they can't lay their hands on. You cannot know of the existence of the invisible universal church unless a body of believers are choosing to meet regularly as an assembly in a certain locale to give visible expression to the otherwise mysteriously hidden and invisible universal church. The local church is where God's people get together to be living proof of the fact there is a loving God who's in the saving business. So folks, it's a little hard to say I belong to the universal church but have no interest in the local church. It doesn't seem to jive. For instance, if you're living in a neighborhood and there happens to be somebody there who is moved by God little by little and has an interest in finding out more about him, I doubt they're going to come on Sunday morning and knock on your door for church. That person thinks of a visible, concrete, physical meeting place where that person has a pretty good chance of meeting up with God and God's people. That's how God constructed it. So this notion, I'm affiliated with the universal church, the invisible church, I value it, but don't want to make any commitment, don't want to contribute to, don't want to affiliate with the local church, doesn't make any sense at all. You make visible the invisible body of Christ by being a committed member of a local church. Reminds me of a story I was once told about an elderly man who was a regular churchgoer. He was hearing impaired. He was almost completely deaf. Every Sunday, his neighbors would see him nonetheless walking to church. Finally, one who was bold enough wrote him a note. And in the note, it said, Dear sir, I'm one of your neighbors, and I'm just concerned. Every Sunday, I see you making a long trek to your church, uh, but I know that you're hearing impaired and therefore cannot hear the singing nor the sermonizing or the conversation. Why do you go? And the hearing impaired man responded with a note of his own back to this neighbor on which it said, I go because I want people to know whose side I'm on. Don't you see? You can be as much a member of the universal church as you want, but it means nothing to onlookers unless you give visible expression to it. It's very displeasing to Almighty God for us to think he saved us out of the world into a vacuum. He saved us out of the world into a family into a body. And just as you'll be very pleased to have your children and grandchildren gather together uh, uh, during this holiday season, so too is our Father so pleased when his kids get together regularly to take care of one another and to sing his praises. So folks, going to church is a visible, tangible expression of our connection to Jesus Christ and to others who are connected to him. 
In the New Testament, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, but I, I, I couldn't find one place, one incident, one recorded a verse of scripture with reference to a Christian not affiliating with a nearby local church. In fact, the concept seems foreign to the New Testament. It never sees Christians as thought of as church members or non-church members as we do today. No, the New Testament assumes that everybody who belongs to Christ will, as a result, belong to a local assembly of others who belong to Christ. We don't do this thing called the Christian life alone. So for Christians in every location, as I read the New Testament, regular gathering was a part of their life, which leads me to this point. The church meets. Whatever else you think about the church, we surely can disagree about how to organize it and all the rest. I don't think we can disagree about this. It meets. That's one of the defining characteristics of the local church. It gets together. And so I did a little study of this. And let me just read this to you real quick. Acts chapter 14, verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together. Acts 15, verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together. Acts 20, verse 7, and on the first day of the week when we were gathered together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, therefore, when you meet together. So as I read the Bible, wherever Christians are within range of each other in the New Testament, they meet, they get together. They don't live in isolation from one another and they meet regularly. It was inconceivable for a New Testament Christian to do life, the Christian life alone since their father called them together as his kids. Listen, our father, plural possessive pronoun, our, not just my I'm so grateful for a personal relationship, and I know you are as well. But the richness of the blessings which we have as Christians, will this offend your rugged sense of American individuality if I tell you the richness of our blessings given by us, uh, uh, to us by God are corporate, not individualistic? I would like to, I would like to prove this to you. I was reading in Ephesians the other day. It's rich. It talks about our spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And you have this astoundingly elongated sentence in chapter 1. It's not, um, it's not punctuated. There's no commas. There's no periods. You have to take a big <gasps> breath in order to then utter all of the blessings. And as I read through them, I noticed they're all together blessings. Even though we're blessed as individuals and have to be personally redeemed, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The richness of God's spiritual blessings are to be enjoyed corporately. So listen, Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we 
would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on me. No, which he lavished on us. We have to fight the temptation, don't we, to think the world, even the redemptive world, revolves around me or you. It's really rough for us as Americans. We're such rugged individualists to defer to the fact that God's responsibilities and blessings are really given to us as a corporate body of Christ. Not only are his rich spiritual blessings to be enjoyed by us as his corporate body, so too are our God-given responsibilities. In the Bible, we often see these marvelous relational words, two words, one another. Those are relational words. Again, I did a quick study just in Romans. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Romans 12.16, be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 13.8, love one another. Romans 14.19, build up one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Romans 16, 16, this is a tough one, needs explanation. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, I think the modern day equivalent is give one another a word, a look, and a touch. Could you please tell me how we are able to successfully, obediently perform our God-given one another's if we're apart from one another? So for the person who says, I can access God alone, I can worship him when I'm out fishing or golfing, I don't need to come to church. Yes, sort of. But you're cutting yourself off from what's central in the Christian life. It isn't just about you. It's about you fulfilling your one another responsibility to me and me fulfilling my one another responsibility to you. And God's kids love it on each other. So those who are not yet God's kids get jealous of it and say, I want to get into that family. I want to be adopted into that family. Otherwise, they just see us in isolation. They don't have a concept of this timeless worldwide movement of the Savior to save those who are lost. They don't see it unless we put flesh and blood on it and make it visible the local church, well, it's not, it isn't about you. It's better. It's much bigger. It's about us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and call him our father. But you could say, isn't the local church sometimes kind of a burden? No, not sometimes. <laughs> Lots of times. Sure, it's a burden. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Doesn't the church have defective people? Yeah, you're sitting next to them. You're one of them. <laughs> Isn't the church filled with hypocrites, unkind people, immature people, people who are not nice to me, don't say hello to me, all the rest? Going to that place is a burden. Sure. 
sure, sure it is. But folks, though the church, Christ's spiritual body, is very imperfect and incomplete, so too are our physical bodies. But I don't see anyone here trying to get rid of them. You know, I'm 58 years old and uh, I'm getting older and you, you discover parts of your, your body, you, 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 didn't, you don't know the name of it. You, you just know, oh man, that hurts. You don't have any idea. The other day, I was sitting at home, I got an easy chair. That's all I was doing. I was just reclining on the easy chair. I wasn't working out. And I got off, off of the easy chair to make my trek to the kitchen because my wife wasn't looking, and, and something hurt. I didn't know I had that thing, and all of a sudden, there it was. It was just saying, yeah, you... But I'm not going to abandon my body, though, my physical body, though it's flawed, imperfect, and subject to the throes of life. We're not going to abandon the body of Christ just because it's flawed and imperfect, are we? I just don't follow the argumentation there. And then could I, uh, could I risk offending you by saying this? Kind of a rhetorical question. How in the world can you call yourself a devoted follower of Jesus Christ and not value what he values? The person out there who says, I love Jesus, I just, I don't like his church. I'm not going to his church. What? Again, how could you say you're a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't value what he values? Well, I can prove to you he values the church. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. How did he? And gave himself up for her. Wow. Paul's been teaching in this text that uh, Christ relates to the church as if it was his bride. He always wants the best for her, for her, for his bride. He loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her. Look, look. If you told the guy, you know, I like hanging out with you. You told the married guy, I like being your friend. I like walking with you. I like talking with you. I like relating to you. You're special, really great, but I can't stand your wife. But that guy might be likely to punch you in the nose. Don't we, in effect, say something similar to the Lord Jesus when we fail to commit to his local church? Don't we say to him, Lord Jesus, I love you, you're my savior, I like hanging out with you, I value you, but I can't stand your bride. Don't you get it? You see it? It's not permissible to give up on the local church and call yourself a devoted follower of the head of the church. The text in Ephesians continues. Ephesians 5, 26, 27. Why does he do all this? Well, here. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Wow, this text told me something. It told me the fact that the church will be this way implies it is not yet this way. 
One day it will be presented to the head of the church without spot or wrinkle, and that implies we have many spots and wrinkles now. Therefore, when some choose to stay away from the church because of their awareness of its imperfections, they're really missing the point. And the point is this, God is not finished with his bride yet. The Lord is still washing us with the water of his word. We are not perfected yet. We are a work in progress, and he's doing the work. How dare we not invest the wholeness of our being and of our resource in, into the local church. If not this one, find one. It's the way it is. It's wrong for a Christian to give up on the church. We have spots and wrinkles, but the Lord is working all that out. That's what it says there. One day he's going to present us before him, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. The implication is we're not that way yet. The church sometimes disappoints. Of course it does. We disappoint one another, of course. That's understandable. But you have to know what the church will one day be like in the future in order for you to be encouraged about your ongoing devotion to it in the present. The now church is not perfect, but you must not give up on it because the not yet church will be. You get it? So when we remain committed to the local church in spite of its flaws, you know what we're doing? We're saying, Lord Jesus, I have utmost confidence in your ability to work all this out. I believe in your promise that one day we, the church, will be presented before you holy and blameless, beyond reproach, without spot or wrinkle. I don't doubt it, and therefore I'll not stay away from it, withdraw from it, withhold my contributions to it. Oh, no. Because of your investment in it, I will make my investment in it. Knowing that the now church is not like the not yet church, but because I know what the not yet church is going to be like because you told me about it in advance, I want an investment in the now church because I'm confident we'll end up just as you said we will. Folks, we are the glorious bride of Christ. One day to be presented to him, offered to him at the marriage supper of the Lamb without spot or wrinkle. So my fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, now is not the time to waver, to hesitate, to hold back and to withdraw. I want you to name me one institution in our world today that offers a better hope for the future than the church of Jesus Christ. Name it to me, and let's devote ourselves to it. There's nothing better than the bride of Christ. There's no greater hope for this sin-sick world than for the bride of Christ to be increasingly dependent on him, connected to one another, assembling regularly, fulfilling our one another responsibilities, and arousing a kind of holy jealousy on the part of onlookers who wouldn't even know about the invisible church of Jesus Christ unless we met, so that they say, I want 
what you have. And then we say, it isn't a what, it's a who. And you can have them as well. This local church is flawed and imperfect. Make it better. Make it better. That's the only option if you call yourself a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, our heavenly husband, we are so blessed and pleased to be your bride. And if you're not disgusted with us, how dare we be disgusted with one another? And if you forgive us and you have, how dare we not forgive one another? And if you are so kindly disposed towards us, how dare not we be kind towards one another? And if you've invested your life sacrificially in the church, how dare we not make an even greater investment than ever before? Lord Jesus, thank you for the local church. It's our place and it's your place to be made visible and real and noticeable and presentable to a watching world. And we pray as they watch this local church, how we behave, how we treat each other, how we move forward, how we love this church home. We pray they would say, can I be a part? How can I be a part? Tell me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the present, during which time we realize your supply, and thank you for the promise of a glorious future. One day we will be presented before you holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We believe it because we have confidence in your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for putting us together in this place. This we pray in your precious name. Amen.